So, the other day I started taking watercolor painting classes, and I almost drowned. That's all I got. Kind of phoning in here. But hey, it's a good episode, so stick around. This is Solving Problems and Starting New Ones, a show that tries to be an incubator of great ideas and a place to challenge popular wisdom. Today we're talking about healthcare and healthcare only. We're talking about the problems with it and what we can do to fix it. And you'll get all this from a guy in the street perspective. Before we get into it, if you like what you hear, find us on Facebook, share, like, comment, do the same thing on the Instagram page. And also let me know what problems you'd like for me to take a crack at. Email me at nick at solvingproblemsandstartingnewones.com. We got some feedback already for people wanting to talk about depression and relationships. Uh, two of the same thing, really. So we'll be diving into those soon enough. Also, email us if you're interested in joining us at our first live show, which will be for our season finale, which is the 10th episode. It's happening in December. More details will follow. All right, let's do this. Let's talk about healthcare. I'll start with a question. What are the major things you are looking for when it comes to healthcare? I think most people would say three things. You want quality, you want it affordable, and you want it encompassing. Everyone should have it. Right now, the U.S. is ranked 27th in the world, so we need to improve quality. Right now, we are also the most expensive in the world at $3 trillion spent annually, or around $9,500 a person. So we need to address affordability. And right now, there are 27 million people without insurance, so we need to figure out a way to make it encompassing. The system is broken. We need to fix it. But we can't fix it unless we find the truth about who broke it and how. Let's go back and forth on a few things and talk about health care that is being pushed lately. We spend more on health care than any country, and government-controlled health care would make it more affordable is what I hear these days. But America is number one when it comes to medical innovations and cures. Why? Well, it's because of the money. This country pays the most, but it also creates the most, which benefits the entire world. Universal health care, Medicare for all, free health care, call it what you want to call it, it would likely bring down cost per person, but you lose out on the innovations because the government would control the rate of the medical professionals. No profits, no incentives, no innovations. Right now, we're on the verge of being able to create 3D printed organs. Imagine a world where heart disease or pancreatic cancer isn't a death sentence. No more waiting in line for a transplant list for a liver. You need a liver. Soon, you'll be able to see a doctor. The doctor will print one up, stuff it down your throat, and boom, surgery, and you go back to drinking with your buddies. Would government-controlled healthcare be as innovated? I'll leave that question to you. We've been told health insurance companies make too much profit. That's why your insurance is too high. The biggest insurance company is, right now, United Health Group. They insure about 50 million people. Their profit in the last four quarters was around $13 billion. Sounds like a lot of money to you and me, but let's pretend they're a nonprofit organization. Let's take $13 billion and divide that by 50 million people. That would save those people $260 a year. Is it their profit that has the prices so high? Would you be happy if you saved $260 a year when you or your employer are paying around $9,000 a year. I think we can do better. But I can't exactly let the insurance companies completely off the hook, particularly when you have, when you have 2.66 million people working in the insurance sector. Could that also raise the cost? Maybe the insurance companies have gotten a little too big. You tell me. A lot of people want to blame the insurance companies or the hospitals for the high cost and lack of quality. But we have to take a look at whose fingerprints are all over healthcare. 
I think the director of health policy studies, Michael Cannon of the Cato Institute, put it best. Right now, we have a government that sets the rules and uses tax dollars to pay for social health programs like the VA, Medicare, Medicaid. We have government rules that allow the insurers to connect to your place of employment. We had a government that forced you to buy insurance or face penalties. The government also controls who can practice medicine, what education they must have, what tasks nurses can perform, who can open a medical facility. They have control over where you buy your medical equipment, who's able to buy it, where we are allowed to buy insurance, what they're able to cover, the prices we pay, how we obtain health care in retirement, what doctors are allowed to say and suggest about treatments, what manufacturers can say about treatments and their products. The government has a hand in the organizational structure of health care providers, how they get paid, what they get paid, and finally, how we provide health care for the poor. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying this is bad or good. I'm simply pointing out how the U.S. government has plenty of control over every dollar spent in the healthcare industry. So, are they doing a good job? Should there be a continued push for free healthcare under government control? More control. A healthcare that will leave us with less innovations, doctors who will be paid less, which will lead to fewer doctors, which leads us to hospitals closing or moving. Plus, on top of that, add in the fact that to help pay for free insurance, you would need to raise the employee tax, which would result in prices of goods going up, hurt wages, hurt hiring, and you'd increase unemployment, just like every time they raise the employee tax. Does any of this sound free? The final thing I have to say before we get into new ideas for healthcare is probably the one that not many people know about, but I firmly believe is one of the biggest reasons for the healthcare cost. Group Purchasing Organizations, GPOs. What GPOs do is they are groups that purchase everything a hospital needs, from beds to equipment and everything in between. The top three organizations supply 90% of the hospitals today. So what's the problem? I'll break this down as simply as I can. Let's pretend I'm a GPO. I go to the manufacturing company to buy beds for the hospitals. The manufacturer wants $100 a bed. I say, hey, I'm buying 1,000 beds. Can I get a discount for $50 a bed? Manufacturer agrees. I turn around and sell to the hospitals for $60 a bed, a 20% increase. In 1987, additions were made to the anti-kickback statute. That's basically a big book of laws for the medical field that's centered around fraud and things like that. One of the additional laws made it so GPOs can only increase the price they buy items by 3%. The government wanted to make sure they weren't overcharging hospitals. Good intentions, but what about the results? Let's use my analogy again, but this time with the law in effect. Let's say I'm a GPO. I go to the manufacturing company to buy beds for the hospitals. The manufacturer wants $100 a bed. I say okay and charge the hospitals $103 a bed. You gotta think, why would I talk the manufacturer down to $50 a bed and only make $1.50 when if I don't negotiate, I make more money? What's my incentive? In fact, it would benefit me more if the manufacturer charged me more, right? I think there's a huge cost to hospitals, which ends up getting paid by you, your employer, and your tax dollars. So yet again, the government steps in and wrecks the day. But GPOs don't exactly have their hands clean. Right now, there are three major GPOs, and they cover the majority of the hospitals. Changing a law like that will create more competition, which is why, you have, why they have a lobbyist group, which leads to politicians against the idea, and yet doctors are for this idea. Who do you trust? So you, what you want to push for is to take out this two-sentence law. Not throw out the entire book, just this little law. So we identified one problem, but we've created a new one. What politician is going to touch a law like that? 
allowing businesses to uh, make more profit isn't exactly in the democratic vernacular. And Republicans probably don't even know this law exists, as most people don't. But raising awareness and trying to get this done is a step towards lowering the cost. So I think I've covered the reason why healthcare is in the crapper. So I think it's time to go over the next steps in improving healthcare. But first, let's go over to Hope Dasher with the heavy metal weather report. It's raining, it's pouring, the old man's still touring Of a lot clad dragging me home It's thundering lightning, Minnesota Viking It's tomorrow night, it's still chilly Wow, that cost me six nips and two Red Bulls Alright, we're back, uh, but before we can get into it, we have to address another problem it's been projected by 2030 the U.S. will be short by 45,000 to over 100,000 physicians. Currently, the average family physician has roughly 2,400 patients a year under their care. That works out to about 24 patients a day. If that seems like too much, it is. So how do we address this shortage? I can answer that with another question. Why can't hospitals have their own schools or apprenticeships? Wouldn't it make more sense to allow hospitals to train their own students to become physicians? If doctors are in short supply, wouldn't it be beneficial to hospitals to make it affordable for the student rather than charging 300 grand to go to medical school? Also, another way that wouldn't require a tremendous amount of effort would be to train the estimated 60,000 licensed doctors currently living in America today who are unable to practice medicine. How come they can't? Well, they got their license in other countries. How long would it take to get a person like that up to speed? Honestly, these are just thoughts right now, but it's a major problem and it's heading our way. So let's hop into a major solution for healthcare. And I'm going to paraphrase Dr. Shiva Ayadori with a little bit of my own opinion. Even in a third world country today, or in the past in this country, you had what people were referred to as a healer in the village. Someone who would see you, talk to you, and more importantly, get to know you. Today, as mentioned, a physician has about 2,400 patients. He or she barely has the time to look, talk, or get to know you. So how do we fix this relationship? There's a movement called direct primary care. In a nutshell, you pay a physician who is part of a network of doctors $50 to $75 a month, just like a Netflix membership. With that monthly payment, you receive 80% of the care you need. This eliminates hundreds of billions of dollars from administration fees annually, because there's, they no longer have to deal with insurance companies. Now, if you need x-rays or lab work or an MRI, MRI scan, that would be at cost. The physician's money comes from the membership fee, nothing else. To give you an example, and this is from Plum Health DPC in Detroit, which is a practice that actually does this type of health care, what they charge for lab work is $31. Right now, the average without insurance is $650. Also, with the membership fee, it allows the physician to purchase prescription medications at wholesale price. And before you would even sign up with a physician, you would be provided with a list of medications and procedures that they offer, and the most important thing, the cost of each one. The idea is to get the big insurance companies out of the routine service that only, and only have them cover catastrophes. I think we think about health insurance the wrong way. Look at car insurance. Imagine how much that insurance would cost if it needed to cover oil changes, brake jobs, flat tires. 
Now think, if we were to take out 80% of your needs from the insurance company, wouldn't you only need insurance to cover the remaining 20%? If there were a major push for this, you would see insurance companies offering the exact insurance you need to cover emergencies and major surgeries. Though, even right now, you can get what's called catastrophic insurance for around $150 a month. So on the low end, you're looking at $200 a month, $2,400 a year, which is abundantly better than the average $9,000 a year that we're saddled with now. On top of that, you have a doctor that no longer needs 2,400 patients a year. Most of these companies cap themselves at about 600. And not to get too far into this, but right now doctors make their money from insurance companies by the amount of patients they see. This is a huge incentive to spend as little time with you as possible and move on to the next patient. With a membership fee, it's in the best interest of the doctor to spend as much time with you as possible to provide you with the best care. If the quality sucks, then you're going to cancel your membership and move on to someone else. So now you have a doctor that looks at you, talks to you, and most importantly, gets to know you. And what can that lead to? Better health decisions, which should lead to less emergency room visits, becoming more health conscious. Maybe you drink or smoke less. Maybe two packs of cigarettes a day isn't the best diet. Who'd have thought Dr. Camel Joe would lie? This could also lead to a better diet. I hear people talk about the healthcare in Japan. They say we should, be, we should emulate them, which has one of the best healthcare systems in the world. But that's because they have a society that actually cares about its health. And I don't think President KFC is going to push any healthy food initiatives anytime soon. Not that I'd want him to. I prefer a culture that focuses on making better decisions. Not by law, not by force. The thing is, if you're paying for a doctor directly, you're more likely, you're more likely going to want to use his services. Not like how you make payments to the health, health insurance and everything's nameless and faceless. You actually know your doctor's name. You're going to reach out when you have problems instead of trying to walk off those chest pains. So for right now, I think that's all I got on the topic. We're probably going to revisit this or go over a few things I didn't cover, like pharmaceutical companies. But I wanted to get the broad strokes of the solution out there. There's a book called Direct Primary Care. It's a quick book if you want to learn more. And if you like what you heard, comment, share, like, subscribe, follow, give a rating on uh, iTunes, and send some hate mail to the Facebook or the Instagram. Or send some ideas or topics to Nick at solvingproblemsandstartingnewones.com. One last thing. If this is your first time hearing about direct primary care, first, I'm glad I get to introduce it to you. But some of you have got to be wondering, if healthcare is such a hot topic issue, how come I haven't heard about it before? Well, folks, we're living through what I call the chaos economy. We're agreeing on things that are they're simply bad for business. Bringing up this health care plan would give us better quality, make it more affordable, and therefore make it more encompassing. Three things that everyone wants and would agree on. But nah, let's just focus on the things we can't agree on. Well, we'll be back next month. Until then, this was Solving Problems and Starting New Ones. Be well. <laughs>